everything that you do that looks rational to you is undergirded by emotion. So if you don't understand emotion, you will not understand yourself or why you do what you do. So it becomes clear that it is entirely irrational and illogical to ignore emotions. Stop running off emotion. Stop running from emotion. Emotions are just information. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Veterinary Business Success Show, a part of the VEDEX Leaders Community Online. In each episode, we explore ideas and subjects you can use to manage your veterinary practice better and be a better leader. I'm your resident asker of questions, Brendan Howard, and today the emotional explorer is Carla McLaren, who's written the recent book, The Power of Emotions at Work. McLaren shares a common path with veterinary professionals. She found solace as a child in exploring her own emotions through animals. In that calling to plumb the depths of what we feel, why we feel it, and what feelings might be saying to us has led her to years of writing, research, and helping with emotions. How could you transform your veterinary workplace by paying more attention to people's emotions? First, Carla, how did you come to write about emotions for so many years now? It's a sad story the way it starts, which is that I experienced a lot of childhood assault and very early childhood. And what happens with a lot of kids who are abused early is they develop a kind of hyper awareness and hyper empathy so that they can read situations and keep themselves safe or as safe as you can be, right? So I ended up developing a very intensified emotional awareness. So I felt emotions intensely and I picked them up intensely. So for me, the study of emotions wasn't sort of this bloodless intellectual idea. <laughs> right. You weren't sort of like a philosopher looking at these things as abstract concepts in the sky. Yeah, it was more like, I'm either going to understand these or I'm going under. Right. And so that was, you know, where it first came from. And one of the things I did, I, we had a lot of animals in the neighborhood that were my friends because people were just basically confusing and um, I didn't know what they were about. But animals would tell me the truth. If they felt sad, they'd be sad or they feel afraid. They're, you know, whatever they were feeling, they would tell the truth about. So I ended up spending most of my childhood with animals and I learned about emotions from them. I will tell you a lot of people who work in veterinary practices will probably very much relate to that yep. story. Yeah. Yeah. Animals are my favorite people. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that I did looking at animals and people is I would say, you know, here is this concept called anger or sadness. Now, when the cat Tommy feels anger, what happened before and what is Tommy's response? When my mom feels anger, what happened before? So I began to understand through watching cats and dogs and horses and people, what each category of emotion was about and was for and what people were trying to achieve with it. So I began to understand emotions as these functional objects rather than the way that most of us are taught about them is that they're less than intellect, they're less than spirituality. There's something right. you need to be ashamed of. Like you need to be have emotions about your emotions. Right? Yes. And they're in the way. I think classically in, in Western philosophy, there was a yes. real dichotomy between reason and emotion, and they're very separate, right? Yes. And 
you know, later or most recent neurology shows that, nope, there's no such thing as an emotion place in the brain. And there's no such thing as a reason place that emotion and rationality are part of the same process of cognition, right? So a lot of the ways that we talk about emotions today don't really have any basis in neurology or in how the brain actually functions. I came upon you by reading a book about, I struggle with and now after reading your book, I don't want to say I struggle with embracing anxiety because the weirdest thing about reading Embracing Anxiety, as opposed to a lot of other books about anxiety and stress that I've read through the years, is it didn't, it's sort of like, it's not making buddies, like you sort of go arm in arm with your anxiety, but you really start, you kind of encourage people to gently, lightheartedly, open-heartedly approach these emotions and ask them, what are they trying to tell you? Instead of, I will tell you from a young age, when you have these overwhelming feelings, you are overwhelmed by them and you try to shut them out and they become negative. I don't want that feeling around. And yeah. I thought one of the most interesting concepts that came out of embracing anxiety for me was thinking about trying to remove that valence about the emotion. There's nothing bad or good about anxiety. It's just there. And what does it have to teach me? Yeah. And if it's actually a function of your cognition, then it is a part of your intelligence, right? So it's not when you are emotional, you are less intelligent. It is when you are emotional, you are intelligent, full stop, period. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? And anxiety helps us understand what's coming up and what we have to do to prepare. It's an incredibly important emotion. It's the emotion basically of motivation. And so if you have trouble with motivation, look to anxiety and see what's going on there. What kind of training have you had about anxiety? What kind of past experiences have you had with anxiety that make it difficult for you and anxiety to work together? So yeah, it's all about befriending these fundamental aspects of your humanity, basically. And so I love that book. And then when I went stumbling around your website, I'm like, oh, she, she just wrote a book called The Power of Emotions at Work. And I thought, well, I have a podcast about <laughs> the veterinary workplace. I've got to have her on to talk about that. So given what you've written about emotions before, and I'm looking at, I have, you have a laminated chart that you sell on your website. And oh, I yeah. like the questions and the breakdown of all the emotions. So while I'm looking at it right now, but I wondered, ooh. A lot of the other books and the things on the website seem to focus on internal reflection. So how do these feelings feel in me? And it's interesting because I think you said kind of at the start of this origin story of yours, you were also trying to reflect not just on you, but looking out at the world and trying to say, what's going, what can I figure out what's going on in these animals? And can I figure out what's going on inside these people? Whereas inside the books, a lot of it does feel very what am I feeling and how do I kind of untangle that? And now you've written this book, The Power of Emotions at Work. And to me, that all feels, I mean, there is some inward stuff we deal with, but that feels much more outward facing. So let me just ask out of all that inward work, now you've got a book, The Power of Emotions at Work. It feels like now this is an outward facing. What are other people feeling? What are these other things I have to deal with at work? How did this particular book come about? Well, I've been very fascinated by the workplace for a long time, and I did minor in the sociology of work and occupations, and oh, I have wow, a, okay. I'm certified as an HR administrator and as a, a career kind of guidance counselor, so helping people find the work that is appropriate for them. And what I noticed is that the workplace is pretty much a trash fire. <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> It is so bad. And we've seen that in the Great Resignation that 
people are just very willing to leave at this point. They're very willing to leave. Just bye. I've had it. And being home and having all of the, you know, unbelievable stressors of the political life we've experienced here in the United States and elsewhere and the pandemic. Hello. I think a lot of people went, you know, take this job and shove it. I've got enough to deal with. And so the power of emotions at work came out during that period, but I'm also a workplace consultant. And what I have learned to look at is what is the social structure in your workplace? And is it what I call emotionally well-regulated? Because if it isn't emotionally well-regulated, you will cause suffering that is entirely unnecessary, but will impact your bottom line in incredibly negative ways. How we grew up and were taught about our emotions and the emotional situations that we have been exposed to, those affect us deeply. We affect each other deeply. And when we are in the workplace, we are forced into what I call unintentional communities, right? It's like there's no social rules or guidelines for us to follow. And people just tend to fall into whatever kind of behavioral patterns they learned at home or at school. And in many cases, those are not healthy patterns. So you could have, in the titling of this book, The Power of Emotions at Work feels like that could be a, a positive valence to these emotions. Whereas I think you identify a lot of times people start looking into emotions in the workplace because they are experiencing that trash fire, that dumpster fire of everyone's emotions. It's a huge explosion every day. But that feels like powerful, that there could be some powerful positivity to exploring your emotions and other people's emotions at work. Is that how you feel about it? Definitely. When I go into a workplace and I see which emotions are popping their little heads up, like um, <laughs> like it's Groundhog Day, right. and um, I know exactly what is going on. I know it makes me look like a magic. Oh, what was Carson? The great. Oh, oh I know. He'd the take Kreskin the car. The Magnificent and he, yes, or something. There yes. you go. Yes. Karnak the Magnificent. The great, the great Karnak. <laughs> it makes me look like the great Karnak because I go in and they say this you know, this group of people is angry and this group of people is depressed. And I'm like, I know exactly what's happening. I know exactly what to do. People are like, oh, you're magic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, nope. The emotions are telling me exactly what's going on here. Emotions don't lie. People lie, <laughs> but emotions don't. <laughs> in the fact that a lot of the stuff in the books, if somebody reads a book about their emotions, again, I, I think I kind of talked about this earlier, I feel like a lot of it is reflecting on your own emotions or your own reactions to other people. And then taking your agency as myself. But then when you get into the workplace, I feel like people have to be even more controlled and careful. So they're managing themselves more, but maybe they feel even less control if other people are out of control and they're kind of poorly emotionally regulated. That it's a bad scene. So I, I wondered, mm -hmm. do you have an overall big idea that you can go in and kind of intuitively diagnose, I'm feeling what these emotions are going on. For people, is there a big idea they should think as they go back to their workplace when it comes to their emotions and other people's emotions that they should grapple with in the workplace that's either the same or different than the personal work they do on their own? I would say yes and no. Okay. Because what I look for in an emotionally well-regulated social structure, and I've got nine features that I focus on, but this nine-part structure should exist within inside you as well. 
it should be a way that you work with your emotions and your thoughts and your dreams and your ideas and your behaviors in such a way that you are not creating an abusive structure within yourself and you're not creating it within the workplace. And there are like really specific things. One of the most important things in an emotionally well-regulated workplace is it's number eight. You and others feel safe enough and supported enough to speak the truth, even if it might destabilize relationships or processes. And this is like, I've never seen anybody say that this is true. Oh, I was about to say, uh huh. I have seen that, but it's very, it, a lot of hard work went into making extreme an environment hard work. Like that. Yeah. yeah. To be able to say, you know, this thing that we spent $240,000 on is actually a dud. It's like <laughs> people go to their grave not having said that. And the business fails and nobody, still nobody said it, you know. Or, you know, your favorite thing of we're all going to be sitting on balls at work and it turns out this is a really silly idea. Nobody will talk about it. People go to their, you know, people go to their physical therapist to try to deal with what happened to their spine at work. Right. And nobody will say your favorite idea about sitting on balls is it's balls, man. <laughs> Can I ask, is that strictly, you know, you kind of lay out all the different emotions in the books and there's kind of, you've got the fear family and the anger family. Does what you're talking about where people don't come forward and share information either about how they're feeling about things or about what they've discovered, is it all about fear or what other things are playing in that soup when they are reticent to share in a space? When people cannot speak the truth. Yeah, there's a lot of things happening. One may be anxiety and panic, anxiety, like what will happen next and panic. There could be social danger for me. Envy will be there because envy is the emotion that helps you understand and locate yourself within social structures. So envy is going to be very much, whoa, be careful here. The social structure is not healthy. Anger will be there, which is your ability to speak for what you value. And if you don't know how to work with anger, you may you may silence yourself or you may just explode on everybody. So there's so many emotions that are involved in this kind of a healthy, emotionally healthy social structure. And it's why you don't see them very often. How much of that is the intensity of particular things or how much of that one thing you identified in embracing anxiety and I thought was interesting, an insight you had is you thought how few words there are in the English language that express not just one feeling, but two or three or four feelings at the same time and yes. how these are more common in other languages. And it is absolutely true. This, I mean, we steal this thing from one language, schadenfreude, which is love it. Yeah. Is joy at someone else's suffering. It's not the same thing as just joy, joy <laughs> and suffering and, and jealousy all kind of scooshed together. It's a great concept. We have one in English called gloating. gloating. It's not exactly the same, right? <laughs> someone else has to lose in gloating, but you have to win. And in schadenfreude, it's just that someone else loses. That's right. So you get, so there's no internal, you don't get any contentment or you didn't accomplish anything, but you feel better that that person fell. Right. <laughs> Today's show is brought to you by Vetex International. Now, are people the major pain point in your practice? If so, you're not alone. Over 90% of managers report staff problems to be their number one issue. At the root of this problem are usually three dysfunctions. A poorly articulated vision, 
toxic culture, or some form of leadership breakdown. If this sounds familiar, then do not despair, help is at hand. I encourage you to check out Leaders, a veterinary-specific leadership training program where you will learn how to create and execute on a shared vision, how to hire well, and build a powerful, high-performance practice culture without all the drama. The class is accredited, delivered online, and open for applications now. To learn more, listen to a free training webinar, or apply, visit vetexinternational.com forward slash leaders. Okay, welcome back to the show. I hope you enjoyed part one. Let's get into some more meaty content to help you grow your practice in part two. In how many of these cases is, um, especially when you go into a, you go into a workplace and you identify not just one dominant feeling, a lot of people are angry at other people here, yeah. but then it's all mixed in with everybody's particular recipe of how they feel about that particular thing. How do you untie not just the complications in your own feelings, but then going in to untie the complications in an entire workplace's mm -hmm. emotional management seems like this overwhelming, weird spider web of connections. I know. I know. It's like, I'm just going to go and see if I can work on the hardest social structure <laughs> that exists. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, God. But what you pointed out about vocabulary, about us not having very good vocabulary for multiple emotions, but it turns out one of the most important things that you can do to create better emotional awareness and abilities is develop your vocabulary. And that's where we start with all workplaces, that everybody shares an emotional vocabulary. You would think, well, that's silly. But so much research, a lot by Lisa Feldman Barrett and her colleagues, has found that just developing a better emotional vocabulary, more articulate, you know, not just I'm angry, but I'm peevish, I'm enraged, I'm sarcastic, like to have so many layers and shadings of anger that it immediately gives you emotion regulation skills. We don't know why. Maybe it's because now you have a name for things that previously were just sort of pushing you around and you had no concept, right? But they're also finding that it has health benefits. Just developing a better emotional vocabulary has protective benefits in the heart and in cognition. So that's cheap. That's easy. That's free. <laughs> yeah, like, what did I, I mean, it is totally free. I think I paid a dollar or something for this little booklet you sell called Your Emotional Vocabulary List. And that <laughs> itself would be, okay, let's slow down. Could you just tell me what you're feeling and just hand your little booklet over and pick your word out of here? Yeah, somebody just wrote to me and I have a free one on my website too, yes. right? I'm like, everybody should do this so that we won't suffer. And um, a person wrote in their child was in just a, a really distraught state and nobody could figure out what was happening. And so she gave the child the emotional vocabulary list and clearly the child could read, but scanned it, found the emotion they were feeling and then was able to talk about it. And then they went on a bike ride. I was like, that is why I do what I do. I can die happy now. Goodbye. <laughs> but just having a name helped the child go from complete incapacity, you know, to understand even what was happening, to being able to go zoop and then go out on this bike. 
So again, playing the cranky cynic, I listened to something like that. Like, oh, right. If I have the word, I'm angry. I mean, why do I have to be any more complicated than that? I'm angry that something happened. And now let's talk about the thing that happened. But what you're saying is, oh, no, there might be a little research and there might be a little proof if you tried this, that (laughs) if you just tease out the color of your anger, what's really, what are you really feeling? So you can figure out what's really bothering you about the situation before you decide to tackle it. Yeah. And as you pointed out, English will stop you if you're feeling (laughs) anger with anything else. Yeah. Right. We have four words in the English language that talk about multiple emotions, which is how they work. So we are like, (laughs) we're, I don't know what English is doing here. Like I was like, (laughs) English, I'm going to talk to you about this, but I don't have the words. (laughs) But yeah, we are just kind of um, on our own. As you saw in Embracing Anxiety, I made up words. Right. Like anxiety and happiness is anxiapiness. <laughs> <laughs> we have to make up words to talk about emotions in the way that they actually exist. And I feel like obviously, for, so for the less, again, lighthearted, the lighthearted and playful people may adore this idea of just making up words to match things up. But for other people, then find. You're going to need to have one sentence about your anger. And then if you're sad about something or you're confused about something, you're going to need to dig a little deeper and give me another sentence about how you're feeling confused and what's confusing you. And we're just going to kind of have to work through the whole thing. Yeah. And if we've been taught that emotions are unimportant or, uh, you know, illogical or irrational or in the way, then that's going to feel like heavy lifting. You know, I'm going to be like, this is awful. But if you understand emotions as functions of your basic intelligence and cognition and social skills, it becomes really exciting to say, not only am I angry at the level of sarcasm, <laughs> but <laughs> I am feeling some anxiety at the level of this, and I'm feeling this too. And what does this tell me about myself and about the situation I'm facing? Okay, so thinking about this ability to kind of think about, to feel something, and then think about how you feel and then express it. So let's talk about the unique mix that might be in a veterinary hospital, which Mm -hmm. I think it's fascinating, the fact that, you know, you alluded to way back when, as a child, you kind of, you were struggling with your feelings and the things happening to you, and you went to animals because they seem to so openly express their feelings, and they seem so, and they're so giving with their love and affection. It is a magical relationship, and many people who work in veterinary practice learn to love animals at a very young age, and then now they've decided to work with animals because sometimes they like animals more than people, so mm-hmm. they they don't struggle with animals. They know what's bothering an animal. They connect instantly to the animal and they struggle with the people. And then you add on another layer of the veterinary practice. You have very high functioning veterinarians who it was very hard for them to get into veterinary school. They're scientists and doctors. And so they were encouraged to think about problems and rational approaches that yeah. emotion is not something to be entered here. So you have ultra rationality mixed in with an kind of this undercurrent of, I don't know, people who maybe didn't grow up expressing their emotions fully or feeling comfortable expressing their emotions with people and kind of put that all on animals. So in that mix, I don't know if you've been to a place where there was high emotion mixed with high rationality or people who loved animals more. So I don't know. What are your reflections on how might that play out there? Or That's my question. Yeah, that whole rationality versus emotion thing, which needs to go the way of the dodo, but it hasn't yet. I think what people are really missing is that 
emotions are present in all aspects of cognition and behavior. So everything that you do that looks rational to you is undergirded by emotion. All behavior, all thought, all ideation, all dreams, everything you do is moderated by emotion. So if you don't understand emotion, you will not understand yourself or why you do what you do. So it becomes clear that it is entirely irrational and illogical to ignore emotions. And sometimes that can help people to understand that one of the things I did in my book is to systematize emotions. And by that I mean I put them in categories. I told people exactly what emotions do and why. I gave them questions to ask those emotions to help them enter into that emotion's particular aspect of intelligence. And then practices to do if they and that emotion are, are in a fight. So I hate to use this term, but it is a logical, rational approach to emotions, right? That welcomes yeah. people who love systems like I do. So looking at, I think when a person can figure out what's going on with an animal. They're reading emotions. They're reading if the animal is afraid or sad or depressed or, you know, whatever. These are human names for emotions, obviously. If you ask a dog what their emotions are named, they would say something entirely different. Right. Um, but they're reading emotions and they can read emotions on people as well. It's just that what I learned, and this is what I learned from a very good actor. And he said, Carla, if an actor acted anger like this, grr, I am angry, or, oh, I'm so sad, we would know that they were a hack actor, right? <laughs> they were a terrible actor if they express emotions in those, you know, stereotypical ways. The way that you play emotion as an actor is to pretend that you're not feeling the emotion and put another emotion on top of it, right? That's acting. <laughs> <laughs> that's acting. And so what humans learn about emotions is to lie about them. Yes. And so they're exhausting if you have grown up with animals who don't lie. Right? And so a lot of it is just understanding that in our human training in regard to emotions, which has been either very sad or tragic, a lot of us don't have any idea what's going on. And I mean, we've all seen people who are basically projecting things onto their animals. You know, the animal feels this about this dog food. <laughs> you know, and the dog, I'm like, this is a dog. This is a dog. He would eat out of the garbage, okay? <laughs> he doesn't need this whatever. You know, people right. get just so bizarrely anxiety-focused on their animals. And then bringing all of that charge into the office of the veterinarian, I mean, has got to be like being hit in the head with, I don't know, with a mallet for someone who grew up sensitive to the truthful emotional lives of animals. So given that, I wonder sometimes there is an inclination with all a good intention, because you have people that are, they're doing important work, so they're saving lives. They want to be focused and efficient and directed as quickly as possible to the right solutions to do mm -hmm. the healing. I think there is a frustration on the part of some people who work in the veterinary workspace. And I know having been in non-veterinary workspace mm -hmm. all my time, it's in all workplaces 
wanting to get rid of emotion. So there's a sense that there can, uh, we, it, the problem is you all are gossip. Stop gossiping. Stop, uh, stop sharing and venting. I talked to somebody today who was describing, she described a situation she said yesterday and she was amused by it, but it was two high, um, very, uh, high level nurses. She got into what she called it a kerfuffle. She's like, it was just like a cat fight. They were fighting because they were both stressed and they were angry and stuff bubbled over. But her attitude was like, some bosses want all that stuff to be tamped down and go away. They don't want to see any negative emotion. Yeah, That's the goal. We want to get rid of anger and um, frustration with each other and envy we're feeling. We want to get rid of fear. We want to get rid of the emotions. Do yeah. you find bosses and people when you go in? That's their thing. They say, I want to get rid of these fights. I want to get rid of all this stuff. And the way to do that is let's just get rid of all this emotional outburst stuff. Yeah. And I mean, we can understand that because anger is about setting boundaries and your capacity to set boundaries is based on your skill set with anger. Yeah. So most people don't even have a skill set with anger. They either explode and they break their own boundaries and the boundaries of others or right. they repress. And then yeah. you don't even know where the boundary is. It's like, is it here? Is it in Cleveland? What's the boundary? I don't know. <laughs> but to be able to work with your emotions effectively would mean to understand a boundary has been crossed and then you reset a boundary with your skills <laughs> that you need to develop. Right. But to say we can't have anger in this workplace means nobody gets to have boundaries. And then all kinds of crimes against humanity begin to occur. But nobody can speak to it because they can't access their anger. Right. So trying to shut down fear. Fear is your instincts and your intuition about the present moment. If you don't listen to fear in a workplace, then some stuff's going to go down. Right. There's so many workplaces I go into where they had a no fear rule and they missed really important, dangerous things that happened to people. Right. It's a terrible idea. But because we don't understand emotions, we don't understand. We have never been taught how to work with the, all of them appropriately. We're just kind of like toddlers with a shotgun sometimes. <laughs> with our emotions, right. And. So, yes, I can totally understand saying, I don't want any toddlers with shotguns in right. my workplace, okay? But what we're doing is we're making a fundamental emotional attribution error, which is we're blaming the emotions. We're blaming fear and anger for people's incapacity in working with these crucial aspects of cognition, right? Fear and anger are like, hey, don't... I didn't do that, <laughs> okay? Right. I came to tell you there was a boundary that got crossed. Why did you act like a jerk around it? That's not the heart of anger. So learning to work with emotions rather than against them is that's where the problem is. And to try to say, we're not having emotions in this workplace. Hilarity does not ensue. <laughs> so, it does okay, not that ensue. just does not work. Okay. <laughs> yes. yeah. Given that there might be those efforts at repression, given that there might be a very mixed bag of people's emotional intelligence and ability to think about their emotions, and then given how there might be high stress situations boiling up, if people are listening, obviously, number one, hey, they could go read a book. So they could they could go read Embracing Anxiety if they're thinking about that. They could read one of your books, which covers the, the whole rainbow of colors. They could read The Power of Emotions at Work. But is there something... if People, the first thing somebody isn't going to go do, 
buy a book, what's the first tip you have for people as they try to navigate? If they figure out either they are struggling with how they feel at work and it could be any of the emotions. So you can't really direct them, go do this because obviously there's an entire rainbow of emotions you'd be feeling and it's a different thing you need to do for each one. But is there something they could do with themselves and other people, a first step to try to start working on this? I would say become articulate about which emotions and situations are the difficulty in that workplace or in themselves, and then begin studying from there. They can go to my site, CarlaMcLaren.com. I've got a post on every emotion. It is super free. <laughs> it's super free. <laughs> and just begin there. And to know that emotions are necessary, they are not some weird vestigial tail that we need to excise. They are central to every aspect of cognition and behavior. And it's nobody's fault that they don't have emotional skills, but you can develop emotional skills at any any stage of, of your lifespan. And it is not that hard. It is not, it's not heavy lifting. And to understand that your emotions are intelligent, they have genius in them and your emotional responses are appropriate and necessary. The fact of your emotions, some of your responses are inappropriate and right. unnecessary, right? But the fact of your emotions, you cannot erase emotions. Just try, says anger. Just try, says panic and anxiety. Why don't you go do that? Knock yourself out, pal. Um, but to know that they are necessary. Now, something I was thinking about, about people who went to become doctors and are very, very attached to rationality as if it is separate from emotion, is they may need a buffer until they can learn to sort of grow their understanding of how cognition works. That they mean, may need someone who's a bit more empathic and more people-focused to be their um, medical assistant right? To be the person who welcomes people into the room, who talks about the issue that the animal is going through or whatever, and who helps to moderate the human environment in there so that then this person who did not have an appropriate emotional education, but had a lot of intellectual education and scientific education can then come in as a, as a what would you call it? As a consultant, yeah. rather than as the person who is managing the humans and the animals and the connection between the human and animal and also the illness or whatever the condition is that is being presented. For a person to say, I have my limitations and right now this is not a skill set I have, but there's somebody in the front office who has this skill set, so let's use them. Carla McLaren's The Power of Emotions at Work is available now, and there are free tools on her website at Carla McLaren, K-A-R-L-A-M-C-L-A-R-E-N.com. That wraps up today's episode of the Veterinary Business Success Show. It was an honor to share it with you. If you enjoyed it, we would love it if you leave a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and tell your friends in veterinary medicine about us. Want a little more? You are in luck. An extended version of this podcast is available exclusively to our leaders community. You can learn more at vetxinternational.com. And until next time, just 
just want you to know, I appreciate you.